Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. This is Chris, and I'm here with Hazem Denny Al-Nakib today with Humanique. Welcome, Hazem. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. And hi, everybody, to, to everyone who's listening. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, a little bit about myself. Okay. So background is in uh, studied business uh, management um, and, and political science. But my background professionally is primarily in banking. Um, and within banking, business, financial services, innovation, portfolio management, uh, that type of thing. Um, I did some consulting as well, uh, but primarily in banking, then moved in the direction of fintech and regtech, so financial technology, regulatory technology. Uh, how do you know the new technologies that we're seeing pop up everywhere between distributed ledger technology, biometrics, artificial intelligence, how all these different things can be uh, leveraged, provide additional value, um, I think, to consumers everywhere. And, and I think that's going to tie into a lot of what you and I are going to speak about today. But also, I did a lot in incubating uh, and accelerating businesses, so small businesses, so starting several business incubators and accelerators just around how you get um, startups to, to grow, how you breathe life into ideas, how you get them funding, go-to-market strategies, commercializing research R&D, and, and that type of thing. So that's primarily my background, and, and that in combination with one another, I think, brought me to 
to what I'm doing today. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I'm I'm interested um, really quick on the the incubation side. What are the the things that you kind of markers that you look for in in uh, helping start some of those businesses? So in the incubation and acceleration. So in starting several incubators and accelerators, obviously you know there's the the application process and all of that. So I'll, I think I can answer this question in two ways. One is, well, when companies apply, what are the major things you look at? And then two, well, when the when the business is trying to go uh, to grow, sorry, um, what are the key areas that they need to focus on? And I think there's a lot of ways you can answer this. And there's actually hundreds of metrics that you could probably base an answer like this on. But genuinely, I think it always comes down to the team. And that might sound a little bit cliche, but I think you know, in today's world and, and through the startups that I've either worked with, been involved in or seen grow, it really does come down to that. And when I say the team or, or the members of the team, it's both their characteristics and personality traits, um, how tied they are to a particular vision or mission or the company itself, but also how the team members interact with one another. The biggest and, and the most important thing, are, I think, is twofold. One, that they... Um, complement one another. Everybody knows what they know and knows what they don't know. Um, and that, I think, stems from the second point, which is lack of ego. And in order to get these things, a simple application is very difficult to find. You know, you, you have to have several meetings with them. You really need to to connect, I think, at a, at a personal and a professional level to know that, you know, these individuals are able to put ego aside. They truly believe in what they're doing and they're willing to put in those 90-hour weeks if need be. They're both experts, but they can do a myriad of different things in the business and they're willing to sacrifice, I think. But at the same time, they all fit perfectly together within the team. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to find and to manage and no business organization or team fits exactly that but a lot of teams and startups and organizations come very, very close. Now on the business and the actual, you know, what the business is trying to do, I've always been a fan of, and I use this word very carefully, but disruptive either technologies, business models, and, and so on. And what I mean by that is is not how disruptive or disruption is thrown around, um, I think, a lot, but rather that there is some process or some mode of doing a particular thing in a particular sector or industry that has been done in a certain way for a very, very long time that now this startup or this organization has pinpointed as something they want to modify, make more efficient or effective, you know, decentralize or, or do something around it that makes it more efficient, effective, um, provides additional value to all the parties and stakeholders involved and you know, uh, reduces cost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those are the main areas that I that are most valuable to me uh, when looking at them. But like I said, there's hundreds of metrics uh, that can be assessed for investors, venture capitalists, incubators, accelerators, and so on and so forth for everybody who wants to get involved with these types of companies. Yeah, well, definitely whittling it down to to those uh, two characteristics. That's a, that's something that. Uh, that's kind of a new spin on it, and that's a, a great way of explaining it. So earlier you mentioned vision. Uh, tell us about Humanique and its vision. Yeah, so so Humanique, quite simply, we want everybody um, that's unbanked globally, which is approximately $2 billion. It uh, It could be a little bit more 
unbanked, meaning they have no access to uh, financial products or services. They don't have bank accounts, that type of thing. We want those 2 billion people who are typically incredibly impoverished people. Um, many of them are completely undocumented and so on. We want all of them to have access to their local and global economies. We want all of those people to have digital identities. We want them to have access to financial products and services. We want to be able to loop them into their local economies and into their global economies um, where they have access. They're able to interact with uh, people anywhere in the world. Um, from a financial standpoint, they're able to store money digitally. They're able to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, that is really, I think, our mission and our vision. It's simply reduce poverty as much as possible and benefit as many people um, from the financial inclusion standpoint as we can globally, wherever they are in the world. And we're starting with uh, several countries in Africa. Oh, yeah, that's a it's definitely a good place to start. So how will it work for um, for those uh, community members in Africa when they get started with Humanity? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of different things. Right now, we have roughly a hundred thousand users across um, several countries in Africa and, and right now the way it works is you need a 15 to 20 dollar Android smartphone you definitely need to have a smartphone you need access to the internet again these are two major problems that we're not addressing right now but that are on our mind that we would like to address in the future and that's obviously the phone one um, and access to the internet uh, both of which we're currently exploring to uh, to support and enable um, in different locations in the world. Uh, but the way it, uh, it it begins quite simply is downloading the application on on the Google Play Store, um, running through the biometrics piece, which incorporates four levels of of, uh, uh, of security, runs facial recognition, emotional recognition, um, because everybody's smile is is completely completely different. Um, it assesses the metadata and so on. So it's very secure. It creates this digital identity for somebody who may likely be completely undocumented. And that's very valuable for multiple reasons, you know, refugee crises, um, people quite simply not having an identity when they want to move around and, and so on. So this becomes valuable in the very, very long term when, when people need to be able to identify themselves and they have everything stored in this place. Second of all, they then get access to a, a blockchain or, or a blockchain-based wallet, right? So a blockchain-based wallet enables them to store HMQ. HMQ is, is our native token, which we created um, roughly a year ago. And that HMQ token um, can be stored and it can be transacted and used to pay for things to other people that are also using the application. At present, we do not have a cash-in, cash-out mechanism. We're currently working on that. And the reason that that's important is, okay, well, the people who um, have, let's say, cash that they store somewhere and they want to be able to turn that and put that in the wallet, you know, and turn it into HMQ, which is the, the token that I mentioned, um, they're not able to do that currently. And that is one of the largest issues globally, which is the cash in, cash out. We're currently exploring several solutions internally, as well as with potential partners that would enable us to take advantage of agent networks and so on to be able to do that. But we're also implementing a referral system such that people are able to accumulate these HMQs and use them to transact with one another. Um, where through mass adoption, we're moving in the direction where uh, HMQ will begin 
being accepted, you know, for example, at the local grocery store or with other decentralized applications that integrate into our application. So they'd be able to pay for different things, uh, products, services, and, and so on and so forth. They'd be able to accumulate HMQ in income as mass, mass adoption accelerates. They'd be able to receive charitable donations as mass adoption uh, continues to increase. They'd be able to receive um, income for uh, doing micro tasks or micro jobs, for example. So let's think about Amazon Turk or that type of thing where micro jobs are listed. They're able to do some and they get HMQ and they're able to spend HMQ through the partners that integrate through our API as well as through you know, the local uh, grocery store if that merchant wants to um, plug into our API as well. So that's the thinking behind it. Um, and they're able to accumulate, to save, and to store it digitally. And this is part of the, the crucial digital transformation piece that we're finding in banking, but also in fintech more broadly. I'm, I'm really curious. You mentioned the charitable donations piece. Um, that's a that's a unique aspect of, of the cryptocurrency world. If it's possible to get money directly to people that need it in that sense, uh, which you know definitely is the case with what we're talking about. Uh, that's that's a big game changer. Oh, definitely. So I think about you know disaster recovery um, situations and scenarios. For example, one of the uh, largest issues is being able to get aid and capital to people as quickly as possible when when you're responding to to let's say natural disasters or or what have you. And using blockchain or distributed ledger uh, technology more broadly enables that, right? This this idea of, of peer-to-peer networks or even not, just being able to have uh, blockchain-based wallets that allow you to immediately transfer or transact or, or move um, uh, cryptocurrency. Again, cryptocurrency is such a broad term and we can speak about it um, briefly afterwards if you like. But being able to move it um, incredibly quickly from wallet to wallet is I think one of the most important things right now when it comes to the area of, of uh, charitable donations. And actually within charitable donations, it's twofold. Getting it to the people you want to get it to um, quickly, effectively, and efficiently, that's problem one. But two, and tied to problem one, is knowing who you're getting it to. And that comes to the identity piece and the authentication and so on. And we really cover both pieces because we, we've identified um, uh, the people that are part of our network uh, who have gone through this um, relatively stringent um, KYC process that's created this digital identity for them. And then second of all, you were able to, to get HMQ to them incredibly quickly and we're able to distribute it across large um, groups of people in different communities and this will continue to grow. So I think about in you know four or five years time when when the number of users has has grown exponentially being able to do something like that with a cash in and cash out uh, mode um, where people are able to then turn those hmqs into local currency if they want or for example we have hmq in one particular jurisdiction that's pegged to the local currency and so is widely accepted that becomes a truly beautiful and an innovative solution to um, to charitable donation distribution and disaster recovery. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned uh, cryptocurrency kind of as a, a, a broad term. Let's dive into that. What are the, the different um, views that you have on that particular subject? Yeah, so, well, currently, 
um, the mainstream uh, notion of cryptocurrency, when you, you when you, we use that term or whenever anybody really uses that term, they're typically referring to you know CoinMarketCap.com and uh, you know the uh, the list of cryptocurrencies that are over a thousand and the total market cap in the hundreds of billions and so on and so forth. But really, if you get into the nitty gritty. The term cryptocurrency is probably mis misused, incredibly misused. And I think anybody who's moving into the blockchain and distributed ledger technology space and then from there into the cryptocurrency space needs to spend some time on taxonomy and then nomenclature and so on in order to categorize the different types. So cryptocurrency, obviously crypto is referring to cryptography, which is primarily based on uh, the initial public blockchain being created um, and, and then Bitcoin uh, being built atop of it, where cryptography is a form of um, cryptography traditionally is around uh, uh, solving uh, codes, actually. But what it ended up turning into was um, cybersecurity. And, and it's, a, it's a type of uh, code that's focused around cybersecurity where applied to Bitcoin was around Byzantine fault tolerance. Um, and that's around how you essentially keep the network on as it authenticates various transactions. Now, so that's that's where the crypto piece comes from. The currency piece, obviously, is just it's a, um, uh, a mode of transacting, right? You use it to pay for different things and, and so on and so forth. So you have these two elements. Well, the majority of these, quote unquote, cryptocurrencies that are listed on CoinMarketCap uh, don't fit being a traditional currency. So when we use the term cryptocurrency, we're typically referring to traditional cryptocurrencies. So the Bitcoin, the Litecoin, and so on and so forth, where even Bitcoin at present doesn't really um, contain the central tenets and characteristics of what a currency should. And that's because of, you know, the uh, increase in price of uh, or the, the electricity that it requires in order to mine, the uh, cost of transactions the increased and the surge in price and so on and so forth. You have others that may come close to, to being a traditional currency now, but many of them don't. Um, some of them may be more securities, some may be commodities, some may be utility tokens, um, others are hybrid tokens, others are asset-backed, others are this and that and so on and so forth. So I, I recommend spending some time um, and I think it's important, and this is something I've worked on, on being able to Id identify exactly what something is, where it fits on at the technological level. Is it on the blockchain layer, the protocol layer? Um, uh, is it on the uh, the DAP layer, the decentralized application? For example, Humanix HMQ. Humanix HMQ is um, is an ERC20 smart contract built on Ethereum. For example, Ethereum is a protocol. It enables the creation of smart contracts. One of the types is the ERC-20, which we use to create and distribute our HMQ token. Now, what we've done that's interesting, and I believe that it's the only one currently um, in the public or, or that's, that's in the market, is we've created a hybrid blockchain solution where every jurisdiction that we're operating in, of which right now there are five, every jurisdiction that we're operating in has its own blockchain, right? And um, so it has its own private blockchain. And it has its own token. So, for example, the uh, HMQ token in one jurisdiction is different than another jurisdiction. But all of them are connected to the Ethereum mainnet, where our HMQ is traded on exchanges globally. 
Um, and that becomes incredibly valuable for many reasons that I can go into if you like. But I just wanted to emphasize the point that I think categorizing cryptocurrencies as this large swath of, you know, over 1,200 different things that are traded on, on exchanges around the world is probably not the best way because each different either altcoin or cryptocurrency or token has very, very different characteristics, traits, utility, and functionality that's often inherent to the product, software, or platform that it's it's supposed to be used on, or it's a mode of, primarily a mode of payment and so on. While at the same time, many of them are also evolutionary. And what I mean by that is that they can change and they can modify, be modified into something else based on use, but also at a technological level. Um, and yeah, that's that's really how I, I think I, I would categorize a lot of these different things. Yeah, I, I think it's a, definitely a good idea. And I agree with you on the, especially the currency aspect. The thing that's out there is not really a currency quite yet. It is to, to some degree, but not um, not meeting all the definition definitions of, of a currency, um, especially just transaction being, you know, the, the biggest thing. So yeah, I want to, uh, I'm interested to hear about how this, the hybrid blockchain solution is working, you said between uh, the, the five different uh, regions or jurisdictions, correct? Yeah, so uh, exactly. So we're currently uh, operating in Uganda, Senegal, Rwanda, Zimbabwe, and Tanzania. We have roughly 800,000 users, um, I believe, as of last week. And what we have done is is through this um, this hybrid blockchain solution, so we have like I had mentioned, each jurisdiction has its own private blockchain, um, which means by default that each jurisdiction has its own HMQ. HMQ is our native is our token essentially, um, and and uh, the they are all connected to the Ethereum mainnet, which is where our uh, HMQ token that's traded on exchanges was created using an ERC20 smart contract. Now, at present each of the different jurisdictions, the HMQ that's used there is directly um, tied to the HMQ that's traded on exchanges, which is fine for right now. However, in the future and and, and, in time, uh, the HMQ that is traded on exchanges globally, um, its price obviously fluctuates with the fluctuation of Ether, right? So Ethereum's uh, native token. Now, because it fluctuates with that, that creates the lack of stability in those jurisdictions because what we're trying to create essentially over time is, yes, it the HMQ serves various functionalities within the different platform uh, that we've created in the application, but we also want it to become a, a real mode of payment, right? We want it to become um, a currency and we want it to be used and transacted and, and so on. So what we're exploring currently, obviously, is a cash-in, cash-out um, solution in different jurisdictions. Um, cash-in, cash-out being that individuals are able to turn cash into HMQ, into the, the application, but also turn HMQ back into cash. That's a huge issue. The majority of people are using cash, and if we want to continue effectively driving this digital transformation in, in areas that actually are very open to it because they haven't yet been, let's say, locked down into certain digital 
um, structures that have been created. This is in no way negative. It's, it's in fact positive, but it provides the ability to be able to jump several steps in digital transformation very quickly. So the cash in, cash out is incredibly important. But in order for the cash in and cash out to be um, effective and valuable and stable, we need to create stability of the uh, of the HMQ in those particular jurisdictions. So one idea that we're currently exploring, the feasibility and so on and so forth, is actually having it pegged to those to the local currency there. So in each jurisdiction, the HMQ of that jurisdiction, let's say uh, HMQ Tanzania, would be pegged to the currency there. So then it essentially becomes like a legal tender um, of, uh, in 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 one way. And so in doing that, we then make it what is essentially the digital equivalent to that uh, local currency, making it a lot easier for people to transact with, uh, organizations to accept, merchants to accept, banks to accept it as a, as a form of uh, transaction or, or transfer, willing to exchange it, those types of things. But it also provides the ability for us to do a myriad of other things with it if we so chose. You know, we, we could practically do anything with it. Um, and then that HMQ can be turned into... HMQ Tanzania can be turned into the HMQ of another jurisdiction and so on. And it could also be turned into the global HMQ that's traded on exchanges. So we're building out an ecosystem around this. Um, and and I, think, I think really that that poses so much value um, to the way uh, one cryptocurrency has been operating in and moving towards, but also the everyday lives of a lot of the different, uh, different people in these different places. And it also incentivizes or makes it easier for you know governments, banks, and so on to be accepting of these types of things. It's not just something that's traded on exchanges that's extremely or, or incredibly volatile, but we've put measures in place to reduce that, to make it a lot more stable, and to make it easier to adopt, both at the individual level, which we're already seeing, but also at, with the institutions, the banks, and the governments, and so on. Where, in, in that sense, where do you start with the um, the adoption piece at a large level? Do you start with the uh, with governments or do you start with banks? How does that work? Sorry, can you repeat that? I didn't hear you. Yeah, definitely. So we'll uh, we'll delete that part and restart the question. So as far as getting the the jurisdictions to uh, have that that conversion, where where does the conversation start? Um, does it start with the the government level? Does it start with the the bankers, the merchants? Yeah, so what we have done is, and the people that we've spoken to, be it the, the pilots that we've run, the individuals and organizations we've spoken to range across every single one of those groups. Those are the stakeholders, right? Those are the people who really um, need to be involved in the process, need to see what we're doing, and we're incredibly transparent around all of it with all of those potential partners. But what it will always come down to is, is there a need for this? Is it solving a real problem? And are people using it? Because everybody always wants to see traction initially, and, and that is part of what we're currently doing. As we maintain discussions with governments, several different banks, um, lots of merchants, grocery stores, and, and the, the number of use cases that we've been approached with is, is truly incredible. And, and I, you know, I thank the, the entire market for this, and this is part of the reception that we've received. And it ranges from, you know, uh, potentially uh, loans for farmers, which obviously would require licenses and, and so on and permits to uh, just loans for entrepreneurs, it being a uh, something that entrepreneurs uh, are incentivized with to 
it being incorporated or being a the form of payment for uh, data or, or phone credit on people's phones and various like the the uses are incredibly numerous but it will always start with have you really driven traction and and have you uh, driven mass adoption towards this thing now uh, moving to the other part of the question which is um, with the cash in cash out piece well who do you need to speak to for that the primary parties are banks and uh, and governments definitely uh, because if you wanted to do the cash in cash out the best way to do it would probably have a one-to-one between the the local currency and the um, HMQ token that we have and therefore uh, that's probably the best way to do it and then you need to be able to engage the government so we've spoken to many different parties and we have not yet uh, rolled out anything that is um, pegging it essentially as a legal tender to the to the local currency, but it is on our mind as we explore both internal and external external being with partners solutions to the cash and cash out, while at the same time continue, continue, continuing sorry to move in in the direction of mass adoption, uh, which will continue to move in and, and are really aiming for for over a million users. Um, over the uh, the next year or two. Okay. And what's the roadmap to that over the next year? Continue expanding. Continue doing exactly what we're doing. So we're currently at a uh, a beautiful growth rate. Um, and uh, just to give you a background, uh, towards the end of 2017, it was really around running different pilots and accumulating data, getting a lot of feedback from users, and so on and so forth. Um, and then came the real launch, and a lot of it is is marketing. And so, like I had said, we started in five jurisdictions um, where we said, okay, this is where our our product, our application is really, really needed. Um, let's begin there. We have a fantastic ambassador program throughout Africa um, of people and individuals that represent and believe in what Humanique is doing, and they play a huge grassroots and um, uh, and community building role, and and we work with them uh, all the time to be able to to drive traction onto this. But then there's also the the digital piece and the digital marketing um, that comes through our partners, our channel partners, our representatives, all of the different uh, stakeholders that we're currently engaged in to really drive a lot of traffic and and adoption for this. Um, and then there are different ways to incentivize it, right? There's the PayPal kind of approach where you have a referral system where anybody who's brought on um, gets a certain amount of X or Y or this or that, but also continuously rolling out new functionality. So rolling out the the hybrid uh, hybrid solution was was a huge move. Um, building out the, the group chats within our application, for example, is also an incredibly, um, uh, both bold but necessary move uh, to drive traction and then comes the partnerships right a lot of different companies have you know already you know let's say over 50 million users um, being able to, to partner with the right uh, companies where we add value to, to their uh, consumers or clients or, or business lines and them adding it to us also plays a large role um, in us driving towards um, mass adoption because it's really at that point where you begin to see where the real value lies and and that's the same with any organization uh, the continuous reiterations modifications and changes and pivoting for example 
uh, adding functionalities, uh, removing functionalities and, uh, functionalities and so on to find exactly what's crucial, what's needed, and how the problem in practice is a little bit different than what the market research or data that you initially began with uh, directed you towards. So in general, uh, that's that's the direction we're moving in, and we're going to continue doing what we're doing to get there. Okay. Yeah, great. So any final thoughts that you have before we wrap up today? Uh, any final thoughts? I think, uh, well, to all the users, just generally, uh, sorry, the everybody listening to this uh, podcast, generally, I think um, just do whatever you want to do. See if it works. Fail a million times. And uh Keep trying. If anybody wants to reach out to us specifically regarding Humanique or anything that they're doing, and uh, perhaps they're interested in learning more or connecting to to find where their organization uh, uh, can either integrate with ours or anything uh, along those lines, please feel free to reach out. Fail a million times at anything that you're doing and keep trying. And it was a pleasure being on the podcast, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, Hazem. Hazem. Danny Al-Nakib with Humani. And we'd like to thank all of our listeners for checking out Future Tech Podcast. And we will catch you here next time. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018. The Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. <laughs>